In humans, the purpose of fear is to promote survival. If we couldn't experience it, we wouldn't last long. Think walking off a top story building or into a fleet of oncoming traffic. Fear alerts us that danger is near. So why do so many of us chase it? Is it a desperation to live life on the edge, pushing human experiences as far as we can to prove ourselves in the face of our rivals, or or is it simply for the pleasure of release that we feel after the fact? Regardless of the reason, horror is a genre that despite its relatively young age, is a movement that has captured the interest of millions, daring them to face their darkest worries in the name of entertainment. Over the course of this series, we will explore what it means to be afraid. From the tactical jump scares found in slasher and paranormal flicks, to the deep psychological discomfort we find in the recent trend that has shaken the genre. This series sets out to discover what it is that makes us scream for more. Welcome to the first episode of Do You Like Scary Movies, a podcast series exploring what draws us to the horror genre and the array of... Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Trends the genre has produced throughout the years, from the late 19th century to the present day. I'm Jordan Paul, an actor, photographer, and horror enthusiast, and joining me on this journey through horror's Harold Halls is writer and director, Theo Trainer. Ooh, how prolific are we? We are very <laughs> there. We've got our titles. I know. Um, I'm great, thanks. I'm okay, actually. I'm fine. I'm good. good. How are you feeling about the new series? New look, new vibes, same us. Oh, it's like a fresh lick of paint in it. I love it. It's lovely in it. <laughs> it should be a laugh. So I would love to know, Theo, um, horror, mm. where does it stand in your life? What does it mean? Is it a heavy subject for you? Is it something you just sort of gloss over in life? What is horror and what does it mean to you? I love a horror film. Uh, personal, private consumption, personally. Uh, I don't really know other people other than you, 
who actively like to go watch horror movies, funnily enough. I love a good horror. Uh, I've only seen one in cinema, and it was like a re-release as well. So, What was it? I saw it with you. It was pandemic. Uh, well, not pandemic. It was like when we were allowed to meet up and cinemas were open, they, and there was like no films on because obviously no one was releasing. So we saw Annabelle. Ooh. I think. James Wan. Was it just Annabelle? Not like yes. Annabelle or whatever the other ones are called? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, that's what we saw. Weird. My thoughts of that. But I mean. It is what it and is. So when was your first sort of exposure to the horror genre? Are your family big into horror? Uh, Not noticeably. I mean, my parents are like. I mean, my my dad and my brother are like film fans, okay. but I don't know if specifically horror is like a thing they like to delve into. I mean, I've seen the odd like DVDs, sort of like Blu-ray <laughs> around the house as like horror-esque, I guess. Very posh. What? What sort of <sighs> what sort of horror are we talking? Like classic um... Exorcist, The Omen, or are we talking more like The Conjuring, Annabelle? Well, I say that, but I've only actually seen, I think, Hereditary and Get Out in my house, so... Ooh, ooh, very new. Very new. Very in it. Yeah, very in it. I love that. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. So, we... as you mentioned, I'm a <laughs> big horror person. Uh-huh. I'm a big horror fan. Um. Yeah, I think growing up, it's it's always been horror for me. Um, okay. We're not that big of a film family right i guess um but when we would watch a film it would usually be a horror (laughs) at what age Um, like see i don't remember when it started i remember being very young um right i I think i was about maybe eight or nine the first time i saw the exorcist (laughs) um that is quite young like See, it's quite young, but... Especially for The seen... Exorcist. Yeah, but I'd seen many, many a horror film before that. So it wasn't like... What? You know, that was my first time at the party. Sort of vibe I knew what I was getting into. Um, okay. But yeah, my dad used to collect these big figurines of some like 80s slasher icons. Um, and I think... Um, no, but for me, it's just always been horror it's always been spooky it's always been creepy and that's the way i want to keep it and you best believe when there's a new horror i will be the first to see it and tell everyone else to go what was your most recent watch (laughs) my most recent watch uh was was it resident evil like new new thing like new release oh okay no it wasn't that's a lie it's evil dead rise Oh right, okay. Evil Dead Rise was isn't um, that the fucked up. Film. It wasn't that bad. It was a wee bit like, um, unpleasant to watch. I would say, but it didn't really have the, the scare factor that I was after. Okay. Um, like it was very much like, <laughs> yeah, it was uncomfy to sit through. But I left that in the cinema. Right. But I like a horror film that follows you home. You know. Oh, I'm curious. An example, but I, mean, I don't know if we have time. <laughs> or if we'll That's get to I'm that. Like, I just like to be like scarred. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's to be what scarred. I want. Love to be scarred, darling. Um. So, why do you think 
audiences are attracted to horror, why do you think there is such a, not only a market, but such a fan base mm. for the horror genre? Um, I would love to delve into the psychology. <laughs> I mean, like, well, I mean, it's just like, I guess people like the adrenaline rush of a horror film that you don't really get in, like, say, an action film. It's not the same. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's quite rare in what a horror film achieves in the viewer that you don't get in other genres. So I feel like if you took it away, then it's missing something. You know, cinema? Yeah. It's a lot more um, personal. That feeling of okay. apprehension, that feeling of adrenaline, it's a lot more targeted at you. You know, when you're watching right, an you're... action film, yeah. for example, you're very much aware that it's happening to other people and you're just sort of chasing that thrill. But when you're watching a horror film, although on screen it's happening to other people, there's still a way through the cinematography, through the music, through the acting, through the direction that it's still instilled in you. Okay. It's a lot more yeah. personal a watch, I think. It's like reflecting your deepest thoughts and fears <laughs> yeah. on the screen. And that's what we love. We love it. I love it. So shall we just get into yeah. it? Though? Yeah. Yeah. Should we just whisk it all away and see where this journey brings us? Oh, I dropped my phone. But yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. So let's start right at the beginning. Before anyone's been possessed, before the killer has a motive, and before I get fed up of listening to my own voice. Please note that throughout this series there will be some spoilers of huge and minor details of some classic films in the genre. So if we mention the name of a movie you haven't gotten around to watching yet, give the episode a pause, watch the film, and just come right back. Or don't. I don't fucking care. (laughs) While it's thought that horror is a recent trend in the world of cinema, it is accepted that horror, as we know it today, began back in 1896 with the release of France's own Georges Méliès, an actor and director with a taste for strong visual and special effects and his movie, The House of the Devil. The silent, three-minute-long short follows an encounter with the devil himself and was intended to provoke more wonder than fear. But little did Méliès know that with that creation, he opened another realm to filmmakers, where the taboo, the occult, and the gruesome could be shown to an audience of thousands. It is also important to note that whilst this is the first instance of horror being explored on screen, Many novels, such as Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, have been occupying the minds of the population for as long as 80 years prior. The House of the Devil fell short of spooking audiences. However, as noted by Christopher Riley, author of Universal Monsters Origins, what was also notable about the film was Malay's use of cinematography to morph characters into other characters. Though technology did not exist to create such visuals, Melies used limited tools and his imagination to create a relatively impressive production. Melies can also be credited with creating a variety of filming techniques and tricks. For example, the Frenchman pioneered the stop trick, a cinematic special effect in which filmmakers achieve an appearance, a disappearance or a transformation by altering one or more selected aspects of the scene between two shots and maintaining the same framing and other aspects of the scene in both shots. This trick has been used in many blockbuster films since, such as Bewitched, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and Star Wars A New Hope, when we first see Luke Skywalker turn off his lightsaber. With the large lineup of movies that have used this trick, it is safe to say that with the creation of The House of the Devil, 
George Méliès changed the way films would be created forever. Theo, what a man was Mr. George Méliès. What a man! What a money good man. What a man. Um... Um, so, I have a few questions. Do you think he knew what he was doing? Um... Not that, but do you think he knew that he was pioneering new techniques? Do you oh. think he knew that he was inspiring a new wave of filmmakers? Mm, no. I mean, I mean, well, maybe. But I don't think so, because it was so new, and most people kind of saw it as a fad. Some people saw the in. Mm. I was like, oh, here, this is going to be exciting. This is new. But I feel like yeah. for the most part, kind of like what we're seeing with say, VR, where people are like treating it more as like a fun little experiment rather than something yeah. that will have longevity i feel like that was like kind of the approach back then from the general public but um props to the early pioneers so for seeing something seeing something in it yeah so yeah i don't know if we didn't that. necessarily see a future in it or not mm. I don't know. probably not see i'm not sure because obviously film was only really I'm not sure if it's created, but certainly popularized about a decade, maybe even like six years before um, George Malaise would have started uh, producing these movies. What was year again? And I think. 18 what? I just read it out. I can't remember. <laughs> the audience will know. Well, but, anyways. 1896. Um, it was obviously a very, very new sort of trend. And I think at this stage, you know, it had been six years. We've already had it. People are starting to not necessarily get bored, but they're starting to look for new things in it. You know, they're starting to go, cool, we've got this. Okay, yeah, we've seen this, but where is it going to go? And I think at that time, the attention really turned to artists and filmmakers to really push for something new in this new medium and really give it something extra, a little extra pizzazz yeah. to keep the interest going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst Méliès is the one credited with the birth of horror, it is important to note that many of his peers also began experimenting with similar subject matter and execution, just a step behind him. A glorious example of this is Alice Guy Blachet, who is credited with being the first female director who directed the third version of Faust et Metistopheles. Blachet directed over a thousand films, with most being lost to time and only a handful being feature-length. She went on to release an autobiography in the 40s and is believed to have inspired the likes of Hitchcock and even Albert Einstein himself. So Theo, what do you think the sort of atmosphere in the sort of creative world would have been surrounding these early days of horror? Do you think people sort of looked at it as a fad? Do you think people were excited about it? What do you think was sort of the vibe? Well, if the techniques were effective and like, getting the reactions from the audience that they wanted, then I'm sure it was very exciting to, mm. you know... Wait, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> do you think, like, there was, like, a good buzz around oh, horror? Oh, yeah, I mean... Think... Maybe, I mean, I'm, I, see, I don't really know much. Was there, like, a... Was it necessarily something that took the film world by storm, or was it, like, kind of on the... See, low. not really, and we're gonna get into okay. it. Okay, so then, hmm, maybe it was a fun little scene to be a part of. <laughs> it was definitely a scene that really, really took off, but it was also a scene that a lot of studios were very reluctant to get into and put all their eggs into one basket with. Oh, right, okay. As so we're gonna find oh. out. <gasps> How exciting! But, I would also like to ask, yeah. 
obviously the early days of horror have such a strong visual attached uh-huh. and unfortunately we've sort of lost that in recent years um uh-huh. okay. do you think the strong difference in the visual and the aesthetic in early horror was imperative to making horror stand out as different from the norm mm. well i mean actually i saw a part i mean i didn't watch the whole film but i saw some bits about this film from 19 uh god 1910s whatever 1912 maybe mm-hmm. and it was like it was a horror film I forgot what it was called something doctor oh i don't know anyway but like the visual like set was very bizarre everything was drawn and weird angles and it was like not in any way realistic or natural at all it was just bizarre to look at and i just thought Mm -hmm. like oh that's fun why don't we do anything like that anymore Mm. and like i don't know maybe there was like this sort of willing to be a bit more creative say back there i don't know with horror Okay, so back to the question. (laughs) Um, Do you think it was imperative? Do you think it was important that horror had that strong visual aesthetic to sort of stand out? Well, yeah, because I say if it was something that was like, what was the, I don't know what the trends were back then, but like, it was just like every other said romance or like comedy movie back then, like they they were a lot more, not photorealistic, but you know what I mean? They didn't necessarily have a specific art style. They were a lot more natural. if they didn't have that to stand out, then maybe horror wouldn't be as popular as it is today, or maybe it would have taken a lot longer, and we would have not had a lot of classics from the early days. You know what I mean? Will I tell you a little bit about where that strong visual comes from? Sure. I think I might know, but yeah. I bet you want to know. I bet you do. The recognisable aesthetic of horror comes from Germany in the wake of the First World War. While the country was struggling to get back on their feet financially, German art and culture was radically invigorated. Filmmakers were largely turning away from the prospects of reality in film and seeking to realise bold, obscure themes through wildly inventive cinematic techniques that pushed the visually expressive capabilities of the medium to unseen heights. These films were largely fantastical in nature, drawing from mythic allegories to reflect upon the struggles of the day. These films were dark, in nature, emphasising the contrast between light and dark, further reflecting the mood in Germany between the people and those in power. This movement would soon become known as German Expressionism and is probably the most visually recognisable aspect of the horror genre today. Expressionism used techniques of distorting or exaggerating the human face to achieve what they believed to be true emotion. We can credit this origin to the creation of the ghost face mask from Scream, which delved inspiration from the expressionist painter Edward Monk and his painting The Scream. The transition of film into the expressionist movement mixed with reflections of German society left us with such horror movies as Nosferatu and Metropolis. These artistic films are a staple in the world of commercial horror and inspired the early wave of universal monster flicks in America. So Theo, is German Expressionism a term you've sort of heard of, sort of investigated and researched a bit before yourself? <laughs> well, maybe more in the actual like like painting <laughs> art medium of it, rather art world, than yeah. the visual film aspect. Um, 
fun to know about the link actually that kind of means see that movie i was talking about i think that style actually i suppose would be called rich expressionism yeah, yeah whatever so good to know i wish i knew the fucking title i really do anyway um yeah not that familiar with it in film though so sorry <laughs> i think especially like honing back to the strong visuals of nosferatu and the oh, horror yeah. films of the day like it is oh right yeah so very abundantly clear that striking sort of difference it almost looks like their actors moving on paintings the way yeah their makeup and everything just their facial expressions it's fucking mm-hmm. surreal it's kind it's of very <laughs> very beautiful to watch yeah and there's something i don't know if it's it is most horror films but there's something so relaxing about a horror film and i do think that that comes from the early days of german expressionism interesting <laughs> and obviously <laughs> That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is to provoke wonder and amusement and fear, but you're just backwards. Through like all the bold shapes and you know the dark colors and the really really bright colors to contrast, I just sort of get like, I'm like, oh, this is quite nice. I feel like I'm almost on a walk through the national gallery sometimes Ooh. with it. <laughs> okay, a little visual tour. I yeah, I quite like it. And what I found really really interesting as well, actually, I would like to touch upon, is the link. Um, between the uh, state of Germany pre-World War um, yeah. and the art so clearly stemming from that. Obviously, it's no secret that, you know, life imitates art mm-hmm. and the artists use their current situations to inspire their next works and to delve interest and wonders into their imagination to create these stunning, stunning works. But I think that for me especially, this is one of the most clear examples of that. Yeah. In 1924, German filmmaker Paul Lenny released Waxworks, a silent film about the owner of a wax museum who hires a poet to create stories for his pieces. The movie was a hit, impressing Carl Mel, the president of Universal Pictures, which prompted him to offer Lenny the opportunity to continue making horror films in the United States. At this time, Universal was the only studio with an interest in releasing horror to a large audience. This was mainly due to one of their biggest contract stars, Lon Chaney, who specialised in grotesque makeup transformations with tragic undercurrents for his characters, like in the case of The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1923, which gave the studio its greatest success of the decade, grossing around $3.5 million. Universal realised they had found an untapped market and continued their work on horror with 1925's film adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera, a horror novel by French writer Gaston Leroux. Cheney was cast in the main role, with his makeup and appearance so grotesque that it was reported his reveal in the climax of the movie was met by screams and faints in cinemas across America. Universal never had the chance to make another horror classic with Cheney following the actor's untimely death in 1930. However, a guiding principle of the actor's approach to his characters was adopted by later studio monsters. As Cheney wrote in 1925 for Movie Magazine, I wanted to remind people that the lowest types of humanity may have within them the capacity for supreme self-sacrifice. The dwarfed, misshapen beggar of the streets may have the noblest ideas. The importance of humanity behind the horror helped colour the studio's approach to its movie monsters and was the philosophy that elevated Universal above their rivals in classic horror movie making. 
So what do you think about that? <laughs> um, um, this will this will say thank you, Mister. What is his name? Lenny Pauline. Woo, woo, <laughs> woo Pauline. Um, I think it's really mad. I think Lon Chaney was the sort of first ever example of a character actor. Yeah, I, you were and saying. I really love that. Sorry, go for it. No, sorry. about like grotesque makeup. I was just thinking about all those other like German expressionist ones. Obviously, they were like maybe mm-hmm. drawing from like the actual like art movement as well. But yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like in general for film makeup, it was still very like theatrical, like as if it was like for the stage. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And they just hadn't. They obviously hadn't got the hang of like minimizing for the screen. But it's just in a way, it's like kind of a style that I can't I miss. Bring it. Why <laughs> don't we just start like making up fucking actors like they're. For the fucking stage again. I'd be into yeah. it. No, I, I mean, really actually, this is not related, sorry. Really quickly. You know, I, Tonya, they kind of do something really mm. grotesque with her fucking makeup and that. I don't know. Anyway. I haven't seen it. I said it's quite theatrical, her makeup. Anyway. But yeah. Um, but back to horror. <laughs> um, I think that, especially the note about, like, with the reveal of the Phantom's mask being taken off at the climax of the oh, movie. Yeah. Like, it being met with screams and faints in cinemas. Like, I mean... It's such a shame that we don't have that sort of I know, movie-going experience anymore, isn't it? Yeah, like, people fainting and screaming at, like, the exorcist and all that. Oh, we'll get to that, maybe. But, I mean, um, I don't know. I think we're sort episodes. of used to it. Nothing can kind of surprise us anymore, unless it can. Someone comes along and surprises us. No, we're... We're very sort of desensitized, desensitized yeah. no, and it's such a shame. Like it must be, I guess in a way it's quite nice that we're desensitized because we can deal with harsher topics. But in a way, it would be nice to go back to the sort of naive idea of it all. You know, back in the twenties, like, <gasps> he has a deformed face, like film and <laughs> literally, like imagine, imagine a reveal in the cinema that you actually scream at, feel so shook by that you scream like it promotes such a strong response like that's something i just can't imagine no i've never happening nowadays. i've never screamed for a horror film i don't think no i, I felt like um, no i don't know maybe i've like do a slight jump i'm trying to think of like say a visceral reaction to a horror film i've had before but i really don't think i've had many okay i've jumped a few times but that's been it, really no okay yeah i don't think i've ever screamed all right well Someone make us scream. Oh, Someone make us <laughs> scream. That's your goal, any budding filmmakers. Make me scream. Make me scream. Although continuing to dabble with horror elements for the rest of the 20s, Universal didn't begin its definitive pop culture famous run of horror films until 1931 with the release of Dracula. This adaptation combined the story of Bram Stoker's novel with themes explored in the 1924 stage version, tying them both together with traits of German Expressionism to become the first authorised film adaptation of Stoker's work. Ted Browning directed this first serious full-length supernatural horror, a gamble for Universal. Dracula ended up its most profitable film of 1931, helping the studio out of a $2.2 million haul and with further reports of fainting in the aisles. From Dracula's success, Universal became the confident frontrunner in the world of horror and over the next 20 years produced several iconic films. Frankenstein, 
the mummy and the invisible man all had audiences on the edge of their seats, creating the world's first few horror fans. After the studio's 1941 release of The Wolfman, things went quiet for over a decade as the monster phase of cinema slowly began to die out. It wouldn't be until 1954, with the release of The Creature from the Black Lagoon, that Universal would add one of their most successful monsters to the roster. Although it was an original story about a research trip to the Amazon that uncovers fossilised evidence of a direct link between land and sea animals, at the heart of its film drew upon the Beauty and the Beast story for inspiration. And with previous horrors, neither actor portraying Gil Mann received credit for fear of spoiling the illusion. Creature from the Black Lagoon refueled the public's appetite for Universal's older horrors, spawning a whole new generation of fans who were keen to watch them first in theatrical double bills and then on television. Although Creature from the Black Lagoon is considered the final chapter in Universal's creation of horror icons, the studio has continued to produce thrillers that directly or indirectly hark back to these classics. Films like Psycho, Jaws, and American Werewolf in Paris, The Thing, and Jurassic Park have enthralled audiences throughout the decades, just as their inspirations had and continue to do so. So, Theo, mm. that's the Universal Monsters. Monsters. Anything interesting you want to pick out? Anything yeah. you learned? Anything that you're shocked by? Um, Let me know. I guess something I did know, but... um. Supposed to sort of highlighted was that sort of period of no horror during the war because the horror yeah. was in real life. Um, ah. <laughs> but like, but also, you said what 1954 was like uh, that was the revival, creature right? From the it took like near enough, what 10 years? So that's like yeah. 10 years of post trauma, I guess, of horror. Well, yeah, because we had the whole Great Depression in America, and obviously, right. that's where most of these 30s. big horrors were coming out of. Mm-hmm. So a lot of focus was and in Germany as on well. rebuilding the economy and rebuilding the hopes of the American dream oh, rather than yeah, like producing a little scary movie. Romances and like musicals and like yeah. all of that. And then, yeah, true. Um, yeah, the people wanted a distraction and not a reflection, mm, I think. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was good, wasn't it? Was enough was going on. <laughs> that was poetry. I'm really good. Oh, can I um touch on something I found really interesting? Yeah. Um, I find it really interesting in Creature from the Black Lagoon that uh, the two actors ah. who portrayed the Gil Man, yeah. who was the creature, were not credited. I was going to talk about this as well. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Um, now, yeah. Theo, you know, but the listeners maybe don't. Um, but a few years back, I went to see uh, The Woman in Black in the West End. Yeah. The, London. Yeah. And obviously... There's oh. a spooky, spooky woman who, yes. you know, she waltzes around the auditorium, she appears and jump scares and stuff like that. But she's not credited in the program, she's not credited on the website, not on the cast board. And, no, I didn't do this, but um, a friend who I was living with, Ewan, shout out to you, um, at the time said that a few of his friends had went and they had asked uh, one of, I can't remember if it was the ushers or the barman or whoever right. in the box office, whatever, one of the theatre staff, um, oh, like, what's the deal? Like, who plays the woman? Yeah. And they were like, what woman? <laughs> and like, they're told to completely deny all knowledge of there ever being a woman in the building. Right. Mixed feelings, but also, like, cool. Mixed, yeah, mixed feelings, but I really love that dedication to the 
anonymity of the performance. Yeah, imagine if I was a fucking agent and I found out. No, sorry, I was an actress and I found out the agent went to the fucking usher and be like, "What's her name?" And that usher said, "Who?" I would Who? fucking strangle the cunt for saying that. <laughs> I think it would be so funny, but like, I, I just, I really admire that sort of. I don't know her level of dedication to the crime. yeah i mean it reminds me kind of in the later years of say blair witch marketing of like pretending mm-hmm. like it's real in a way very you know, fine footage like, yeah, like yeah. being like whenever they were like these are real missing people to market the movie when they were really they're not obviously they're actors but like they were unknown yeah. actors so that people didn't really know if it was real if it was like <gasps> i'm so excited i have a feel like full rant about the marketing behind the Blair Witch Project. Ah! I think it was absolutely genius. But we're not there yet. We're back in the day. We're at Universal (laughs) Monsters. Do you think that you yourself, being a current contemporary watcher of horror films, do you think that you can spot references that hark Uh, back to these older pieces and contemporary movies? Not whenever... No, actually, I don't... I'll be honest, I don't necessarily think about it that much, but now in, say, the wonderful uh, context of this podcast, <laughs> I can learn. Ooh. <laughs> Every day is a school day. Isn't it? And I'm your teacher. Okay, <laughs> you. Um, I just found it all very, very fascinating, very interesting. Mm. Um, I love it. Any more thoughts it. on the Universal Monsters? Are um, they are they films well, that you've seen? Oh God! Or um, ooh, sorry, sorry. Oh, I know. Wow, I need to what, find like, a new podcast co-host. No, it's just week. like <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But be fair, like monster movies haven't they've not been back for a while. It's been ages. Like I can't really, I can't minute, really yeah. think of recent iconic monster movies, except for like revivals. Like I don't know. Do you mean it's, remakes? Remakes, sorry, yeah. Like remakes of say like Godzilla, but that's like a horror movie. Yeah. That's like an action movie, near enough. I don't know. Yeah, I think um a lot of it comes to do with the current state of society. Um, you know, we know that people with different mindsets people with physical um deformities aren't to be mocked or right uh, yeah laughed at or scared true like you know we shouldn't be afraid of other people uh-huh. um and i feel like back in the days these movies were being you know made and produced well um and keep in mind as well a lot of these movies were adaptations of novels from the 1800s yeah yeah, yeah. so when you go right back to the 1800s um there's, you know, a wave. You have traveling freak shows where people who oh, are that shit. slightly different, you know, they're gawked at. Yeah. Um, there's actually a really um, poignant uh, horror film of this time. I'm trying to think of, I think it's called Freaks, maybe. And I think it's about 1923. That's my uh, It's a black and white silent. Yes, it's a black and white silent film. Um believe it's a horror as well and it is about a group of um performers in a freak show oh and um, the horror is just that, them is it it's them oh yeah okay and you know like if something like that came out nowadays yeah well, first of all it wouldn't <laughs> no <laughs> but second of all now like it would be completely just out there like it wouldn't be accepted um 
so I do think that's why like as much as we can go back and appreciate um where society was I mean we still do you know yeah we have um the London production of the Phantom of the Opera still running um we had a not too long ago we had a film adaptation of it again yeah um so you know people still do go and listen to these stories and see these stories and yeah, they really skewed the genre though for obviously the musical no. version compared to the the novel the... and older film yeah um i think it's very interesting yeah i mean i was even i know black mirror is not necessarily horror it's more sci-fi but i was just thinking recently yeah. because while watching it the horror aspects of it are definitely a lot more mm-hmm. human uh centric now back then maybe it was more like yeah the monster i was just thinking about yeah. how we've how we shifted the focus oh <laughs> in, in on ourselves in a more obvious way it is very very interesting how horror has sort of chosen its target through each sort of era it exists mm. Um, well, we went who to sort of villainify, villainify is that a word? It is now. Well, sure, we went to the horror show. Um, we did, House, um, and that was very much about like seventies. Well, actually, what was the time frame for that? Um, it was about the sort of punk revolution yeah. in Britain. Yeah, but it, like, but we'll get to that. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, is that later? That's later on. I'll not bring it up then. That's the next episode <laughs> where we um explore the atomic phase and the first Renaissance of horror in film hooray so that's what you have to uh next week we're going to be talking a wee bit about um the early versions of godzilla we're going to be talking about the sort of start and the exploration of religious horror we're going to be talking the exorcist the omen (gasps) we're going to be talking about where some of the most iconic films that your parents and your grandparents grew up with came from and that is what we have in store for you next Friday. Hoorah! Might be a bit Hoorah. more familiar with this personally. I might have more thoughts. I don't know. Yeah. I'm excited. Exciting. I feel like with every decade we get closer to, I I know more. Yeah, no, same. This was very back. much like a, I only knew what you were telling me, really. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. oh, okay. It's but, dead exciting. And what better hosts to have it with? <laughs> um. So yeah, that is all from us this time. I've been Jordan. I've been Theo. And until next time, sleep tight. Do you like scary movies, Sydney? We're all afraid of the same. Death, pain, injury, all of it is the same. Which makes a movie that deals in our fears. Universal.